everyone. Welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm Keith Bergun. Thanks for joining me today. I It's been a while, uh, a long time since I uh, did a podcast episode. Uh, there's a bunch of good reasons for that. One is that I'm in the muck, uh, knee deep in this uh, warming up for the Kickstarter for Spellstorm, which is my uh, one to four player card game, uh, probably best with two. Uh, you know, sort of a tactical deck builder, you might say. Uh, it's gone through some real uh, stuff over the last year or so. Been working on it for about two years, and I'm really excited to bring the Kickstarter uh, to you. And I'm thinking like early in the summer. Uh, it's we're doing it as fast as we can. Uh, it's but it's going great. Uh, the game is more fun than ever to play. Uh, it's a it's a real blast, and uh, I'm really excited to share a lot of stuff about that with you. The other big thing is that I have a new job. Uh, I'm working over at Limbic Entertainment uh, on a contract, uh, and that is going really great too. I probably can't say very much about what I'm working on. It's an unannounced project, but it is something definitely in my wheelhouse, and uh, I feel like I'm really making a big impact on that game. And um, yeah, stay tuned to what they do over the next uh, I think this game probably won't be out for a few years, but um, when it eventually comes out, I, I hope that it'll definitely have a real Keith mark on it. But yeah, that's been a full-time job, so that's been pretty big. And then on top of that, I also have um, this... I'm starting on making an RPG, uh, which is probably the most foolish thing I've ever tried to do, but it's one of these things where when lightning hits you and you're just like, I have to do this. Um, you have to listen to that. You have to do what the lightning says. Uh, I, I I was really struck by that lightning. I don't. I, I think it was there was a bit of a slow process over the last year or so as I've been playing, maybe even a couple of years as I've been playing a few games, um, rediscovering my love for games like Final Fantasy and things like that. But it was really like three four months ago when I was like, it was all I could think about was like, I need to make this game. I need to make this game, and I still feel that way. And um, so I've been like scooting stuff around and trying to figure out how exactly to make that happen. Uh, but at the same time, I've also been just like Hoover vacuuming information about JRPGs uh, in particular, um, that sort of style of RPG making. I know I've talked a lot about like sort of more Western RPGs in the past and those there are things that I really love about those, um, but that's not the game that I have in my heart to uh, to make. And um, so I've been just really studying and studying uh, the entire history of JRPGs. Like I, there's so many like whole series that I didn't even know about uh, that I'm learning about. And uh, I keep watching YouTube videos on obscure JRPGs and, uh, you know, just playing as many games as I can. And I'm trying to go deep as well as wide. So, you know, like I'll talk about it a little bit, but uh, the uh, Legend of Heroes series is huge. Um, and I'm trying to go through the Trails uh, series. I've, I'm still only in game one. It's huge. And I am playing a lot of different games at the same time. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, kind of an, another part-time job just to be doing research, which is basically what I'm doing. Um, and I really want to, um, I have a strong vision. I know what I want to make. But, uh, you know, I, I want to see every time I play games, I'm getting more and more ideas about like, oh, this really works. This really doesn't work. This bothers me. Um, and uh, and so I'm just getting a it's like helping me to hone exactly what it is I want this game to be and also give me more cool ideas and stuff. So uh, it's been a fun process and uh, a good motivation to play more games, which is great. And um, yeah, that's kind of been the big thing. Uh, and so the podcast has been on the back burner for a little bit, but I really wanted to spend some time today and talk about RPGs a lot. So the first thing I'll do after this long intro is over is I will talk about um, Trails in the Sky a little bit, uh, which is the first uh, game in the... Legend of Heroes Trails series, um, uh, which involves its own bunch of sub-series. Uh, th this is a part of a three-part story, three different games. Um, it's Trails in the Sky, Trails in the Sky, second chapter and third or something like that. I forget the exact names of them. They don't, they don't have the best, most memorable names, but um, I'll talk about them. 
And then at the end, I have a bunch of uh, really good questions from my Discord community on RPGs. And so I'm gonna address all those and riff on those and talk about that. And yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining me. As always, you can support this show uh, over at patreon.com slash Keith Bergun. I, I basically uh, produce articles, I produce podcasts, uh, and the biggest thing that I do is my Discord community, actually. I like maintain that. I try to like, we do different book clubs, we do, uh, you know, game jams, we try to do a bunch of different little events just to kind of help with community building and that sort of stuff. Uh, but I also have a patrons only channel there, and I do share a lot of stuff that I'm working on only in the patrons only channel. So you can get access to that uh, and a few other little things here and there, but mostly it w- it's, you know, it's it's uh, it's largely a Patreon, Patreon of showing your support for what I'm doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd really appreciate it uh, if you would come check that out. Uh, anyway, without any further ado, let's get into talking about uh, this. So I mentioned I've been playing a lot of games and I will mention the names of many of them and all of these I could talk about for probably a half an hour each at least. Um, But I've been branching out from Final Fantasy. Um, I played uh, a good bit of Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth, uh, which was kind of a weird one. I guess I'll I'll, I'll afford myself one little quip about each game that I play. Uh, Dragon Quest XI, which... uh, Actually, let me give uh, Cyber Sleuth more of a sentence. Actually, that's that's rather hard. Um, it's it's a weird game. I guess I'm maybe I'll stick with that after all. Uh, Dragon Quest XI, good but too safe. It's just too safe. Um, Jack Move is an interesting uh, indie RPG um, that seems good but uh, just a little thin and not terribly inspiring. I'm not really into the cyberpunky kind of vibe usually and i don't know why it just didn't grab me for some reason um i'm not saying i'll never play it again but just didn't grab me chain echoes which um is kind of an inspiration for me because it's been such a big deal and yet it has a turn-based combat and uh pixel art and it's an indie game and uh you know that really that game actually made me feel like yeah i can do this i can i can make this game um and uh as to the game itself it seems okay. The writing is kind of a real problem. The combat system is not better than like, I don't know. It's, it's just like whatever, I guess. I, so I haven't gotten that far in it. I probably need to play it a little more, but I've yet to be super impressed with it. Um, but I will play it some more. I also played a game called Chinese Paladin Sword and Fairy 6, which is a big, long-standing Chinese uh, RPG series. Um, and this one in particular I played because it took it took a lot of its combat system from Final Fantasy 13, which I also intend to do. Um, and uh, it's my review of it was basically this seems cool. I hope they finish it someday. And the joke there is that this game came out like, I don't know, six, seven years ago or something like they're definitely not still working on it. But it it's pretty unfinished, in my opinion, um, from what I played. Um, Valkyria Chronicles, which is a very good, well-made game. Uh, very visually beautiful, uh, but the problem is it's just fight, 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 fight with like nothing in between. It's not an RPG. It's a tactics game. Uh, it's like a war game, really. Uh, to call it an RPG is, I think, a misclassification. Uh, and then a few others. We'll, we'll talk about them another time. But um, yeah, today I'm here to talk about Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, first chapter. That's like the full title of it. This is a long-standing series. It's part of the larger Legend of Heroes series that goes back to 1989, created by Nihon Falcom, who are also known for their work on the Ease games, which I also haven't really played, I'm ashamed to admit, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I was told that the Trails in the Sky arc, that the three these, these are three full games, is a good place to start, and so I've started with that. I'm only about 18, 20 hours or so into this game, and while I do have some mixed feelings, in general, I like it. So here's my thoughts on this game uh the positives let's start with the positives every single npc in this game uh and i should mention the platform real quick uh it's on steam i'm playing it on steam i think it originally was on uh just like pc actually which you notice when you use the ui like it's clearly like it was a pc game originally and they've ported it and so the controller stuff is a little wonky 
Uh, but it, yeah, so you can play it on Steam. I'm playing it on Steam Deck and I'm having a good time, actually. It's working really well as a Steam Deck game. So every single NPC has a name and updates their dialogue after basically every story event. And there's a lot of NPCs and they all have these little unfolding stories and things like that uh, for you to follow if you want, which I think is really great. And also the script in general is really good and legitimately funny sometimes. Um, characters are pretty strongly written, like they have a real personality to them, especially the main and playable characters and secondary characters. Um, they, they all speak in a distinct way, and it's, it's just generally like pleasing how it's written. I, I enjoy reading it. The world and the story, at least so far that I've seen, are pretty good. I mean, like one really cool thing about it is that the scale and the scope of the story are very terrestrial. You're just a, a couple of kids. You're not like a royalty or the son of God or something like that. You're not the chosen one. You're just like a couple of kids, mostly. Uh, we get into that a little bit, but um, it's very down to earth and you're investigating these like down to earth things like kidnappings and uh, other stuff like that. Um, and I assume, of course, it's going to get bigger as it goes. But in my opinion, that's like really how you do it. You start small and you build up to bigger things because then bigger things feel big. If you start with like killing God or something, then, you know, where do you go from there uh, scale wise and scope wise? Uh, so when you couple couple that with the generally likable characters, I would say it's like pretty compelling. Uh, the another positive is the music is pretty good. It's not Final Fantasy good, but it's also not bad. Um, I enjoy it, and there's a couple of tracks that are like real sincere bangers. Now for the okay features. Uh, the combat system is just okay. It's not bad. It's not like an annoying or messy, like real time thing. It is turn based. And weirdly there's a grid, but it actually plays more like a traditional Final Fantasy game. So it's not like there's a bunch of AOE stuff or tactical stuff. There's no like zone of control or, uh, you know, facing like backstabs, anything like that. It's, it's sort of confusing why the grid is there a lot of the time, but it overall works. There are times when the grid matters, and I guess it's kind of neat that that happens. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about this a little bit more later on in the bad section. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, the character upgrade and customization system is also all right. It's, uh, it's sort of needlessly weird and strange, even though it's actually very simple. I mean, some of this is to do with the UI and how it looks and how you navigate menus, but um, there's really just not a lot you can do with this system. It's kind of like the Final Fantasy VII Materia system, but just less interesting. So like you assign these little rocks to these slots, just like Materia. They give you stat bonuses and spells, just like Materia. But unlike Materia, they don't level up and so, uh, and I think, uh, I forget if, uh, I think, I'm trying to remember if Matera ever had a thing where, yeah, when you level them up all the way, you would get some like really cool thing a lot of the time. Uh, and this just doesn't have that kind of thing. So like I've basically been using the same like six spells the entire 20 hours I've been playing and they're not interesting spells. They're like, do fire damage, do air damage, do darkness damage. Um, you know, there's, there's, the spells are just not very interesting. Uh, so overall, like building the character system and stuff, it's just not, there's not a lot I feel like I can do with it, but it's not terrible either. It, it, it mostly works. Um, the art is charming here and there, uh, but it's mostly just like, I think, okay looking. Uh, I don't love the, like this particular type of anime style. Uh, and some of the character designs are sort of weird and, uh, there's some other things I'll talk about later on. Um, and and the, the, the biggest complaint I have actually is the camera angle in terms of visuals. The camera angle is this sort of no man's land between two vertical and like two literal and you have to adjust the camera. And so like you're walking through a city and like these tall buildings that are like actually in proportion to your character, unlike 
say, Final Fantasy VI, where the buildings are, you know, they're not in proportion to your character. They're a little bit small. Uh, and so you have to, like, move the camera around so you can see because there's, like, no occlusion. So your character is not is not visible and you sort of, like, lose. I really hate, I've come to hate uh, rotating the camera in, like, top-down ISO games. Uh, as I've been playing a bunch of PlayStation 1 uh, games, um, games like uh, Xenogears and Vagrant Story both have this. And it's like, oh, it's really uh, annoying and oppressive to have to adjust the camera constantly. So I guess that was kind of a mix of a good of an OK and bad uh, feature. But now on to the actually bad features. And I mainly have one bad feature in mind for this game. And that's that this game's general politics are really pretty bad, it seems, as far as I've been able to see so far anyways. Like, your main two characters are basically cops. And not only are they cops, but they're working for a monarchy. Uh, so it's, very, you know, like, that's another theme I'm seeing so much in these RPGs is, like, you know, we love the king, you know, licketh thy booteth, me lord. Um, it's very weird. Um, and then some other guy is like, I want to be king. And we're like, no, not you. Like, why Why is it bad that he wants to be king? Why is that any worse or better than our current king? Like, you know. So they have, they, they're very monarchistic. And uh, I guess this is an opportunity for me to make, like, a very quick rant about how RPGs are... are they are one of the uh, main, uh, not just RPGs, but like story-based video games are for my generation and probably younger people. Uh, they are, you know, they're mythology of our generations. And I think it matters what mythologies we choose to uh, perpetuate and which ones we don't. And I know that a lot of RPGs are like the king, you know, protect the king, all that kind of stuff, because they're sort of grandfathering that in from, you know, older stories that did that. And I think it's just time that we like move on from the king stuff. Uh, and because I do think it sort of interacts in a bad way with authoritarianism and like fascism and just general anti-democratic um you know, affects. So I, uh, yeah, I'm really just not a big fan of this uh, King stuff and obviously not a big fan of uh, cops and being cops. And um, yeah, so there's this other character you meet early on uh, named Sherazard, who I guess is supposed to be themed as some kind of like sex vixen, vixen -y kind of character, which like is just awkward going with this cutesy aesthetic that the game has, I think. Uh, but the worst part of that is like there's there's this one scene where she arrests someone and she like threatens them basically with sexual assault <laughs> um, and it's played for laughs and it's pretty weird. Later on, there's another sweet sequence where a character uh, named Olivier, who is probably my favorite character in the game so far, reveals that he's bisexual and the two main characters are like horribly disgusted by this fact, calling him like a pervert over and over and being awful to him like just they hate him so much and basically because he's gay <laughs> like it's wild i mean the game was made in 2004 so that is part of it but still like final fantasy wasn't doing this kind of stuff in 2004 or at least certainly not to this extent so that's the main bad feature about this game is that it just seems like ugh, like some pretty bad politics um i it could pull up on some of these things uh, you know, like it's got three games to go. Maybe by the end of the third game, it you know, it, it, it subverts some of that. But I, I sort of don't expect that. And uh, yeah, my other big complaint is just that the abilities are just not very interesting. Um, when I get a new character, I'm usually pretty excited. But then I find out that the new character doesn't have any new things that they can do. They're not mechanically um, expressive of a, like a new character. So, like, you know, a good example um, of that would be in, like, Final Fantasy VI, for example, you have, you get Sabin, and Sabin has, like, these blitzes or whatever, or you get um, uh, Celeste, and she's got the runic ability, which lets her absorb magic. You know, there, there's these things that characters can do that other characters cannot do, and you can also express that in, like, a Final Fantasy X type of way, where... You know, your characters are on this part of the sphere grid, but then you meet this other character and they're way out on this other part and they have these different abilities that they have access to. Um, and so that's the point is like, you know, the characters so far have every time I get them, I'm like, yes, a new character. That's so exciting. It's a big deal in these kind of games. 
but then I'm quickly pretty disappointed because they just have slightly different stats and a lot of times they have like just the same spells as my guys. And so I'm like, okay, just another copy of my guys with like a different sprite, basically. Uh, that's a little bit of an overstatement, but not too much. Um, so anyway, overall, it's a pretty cool game. I'm also like just really excited that there's this whole series and um, I'm, I, I don't know how far I'm gonna get into it, but you know, the writing being easy to read and like dramatically pretty good in terms of like beat to beat, you know, I'm, I'm sort of compelled to keep going, uh, is, is, is worth a good bit. I guess one other bad thing I would mention really quickly about, um, this game is the environments are totally uninteractable. Like there's never a thing that you can go up to and like press a and like read a book on a shelf or find a potion in a, in a potted plant or anything like that. And it's actually to the extent that it's quite weird because you'll find some like attic in a building and it's just, there's just nothing in there. And that happens all the time. Um, and I was on the one hand, there's a part of me that's like, well, that's, that's good. You know, you shouldn't just be looking for rewards constantly. You shouldn't be getting like this trickle of, of rewards. But at the same time, and that, that is true, but at the same time, I think um, that that especially if there's like little secrets and things to find and like books to read and like little details like that, um, it, it really makes the world into more than a picture, including uh, collecting items from things and, you know, just little interactions. Um, so so that's the thing. You don't want the world to just be like a big JPEG world.jpg you want there to be some amount this is a part of an important part of stagecraft is to you know make it into a world by making it at least a little bit interactable and i think the game they put so much effort into talking to npcs which they did a great job of but no effort in like interacting with the world so yeah anyway that's the trails series um Check it out. It's on it's on Steam. It's a pretty good uh, Steam Deck game. I don't know that I can like strongly recommend it, but if you're kind of looking for a sort of weird JRPG with like decently good writing and that's kind of more down to earth, uh, I would recommend it. Yeah, should check it out. And now on to part two of this podcast, which is questions from the Discord community. All right, so. From Mundungu, we have the first question, which is what makes an interesting enough story to carry the game through subpar mechanics? And uh, I pushed back on this, of course, because I, I don't think we should assume that the game's going to have subpar mechanics. But I think the spirit of the question is, you know, like JRPGs are 20, 30, 40 hour plus long experiences. And it is very likely that in that time period, there's going to be some parts that are a little tough, a little tricky to get through, like not hard necessarily, but like that are annoying, that you just don't like, that feel tedious or slow or the pacing is off or just boring or grindy, whatever. There's all kinds of reasons that within a 40 hour long thing or even a 20 hour long thing that uh, the game's going to kind of suck a little bit. And I think the question here is like, what makes a story interesting enough to carry the game through there? And I, I can't answer that. I mean, that's a very, very broad question about like, what makes stories interesting? What makes stories compelling? I mean, a million things make stories compelling. Um, but I can talk about a few things that, that help me get through uh, those bad parts in games, which every RPG I've ever played has had some bad parts. I can't think of one that uh, that hasn't had some some bad parts or subpar mechanics, et cetera. Um, and so, I, because I think that there's such a big overtaking, undertaking that there's no way you're gonna be able to like make 100% of it awesome, you know? And again, there's also subjectivity there. Like, you know, you you might like this 80% of the game, but I actually like this 75% of the game. It's a different, slightly different overlapping parts. Like my least favorite part might be your favorite part and so on. So that's the other reason that they, they're always gonna have some bad parts is they have a bunch of different parts and people like different things. But what makes this story interesting enough for me to, to move through it and like get through those and like, I, I hesitate to say power through them, but it's true, um, is probably the biggest thing is, uh, I would say two things. One is plot gravity. 
And I, that's something I talked about in a recent RPG article, which you can check out at keithbergone.net. Um, uh, plot gravity is a bunch of things. Uh, it is the feeling that this plot matters, that I need to know, that like I should, uh, people need to know about this story. This is not like just some, you know, like milled out, like extruded story product. This is an important story like, this is the this is the you know someone poured their heart and soul into this and they cared about this for personal reasons and for you know it's important to them and it comes through when you feel it when you play it you're like yes there's some weight to this I think Final Fantasy VII actually uh, is a good example of this when you even right when you start with the bombing mission between the music and the presentation of the world and everything and the characters and all this stuff you all you basically instantly get the sense like. Something important is here. I need to continue with this. I need to know where this is going. And so if you can establish that, I don't know how you can totally establish that. I'm going to explore that myself. But I think that's a goal is is to, to get that weight. And then that you have that anchor, you know, pulling you towards that the whole time. And that also has to do with characters as well, because characters are they suggest their own, uh, you know, story. Um, you know, from the beginning of Breaking Bad or whatever, the very first episode, you get the sense of, you know, who this character is and you get the sense that they, they are heading like downward. They are, you know, a doomed character. You sort of get that sense from the first episode and towards the, for through the whole series, you're, you're feeling that gravity. Um, and, uh, yeah, different, different stories do it in different ways, obviously, but that's, those are a couple things. And then also just like liking the characters, liking the world, wanting you know, charm, like building a thing that like, you know what? Yeah, this part sucks, but I like this game. I mean, I just played Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, the first half of which was like amazing. And then it really started slowing down a lot in the second half. And I was like going through sewers over and over again, fighting like rats or something. And it sucked for a lot of that second half. But I loved the game overall. And I loved the characters. I loved the story, the world, the, everything about it, basically. And so I powered through those parts and I'm really glad I did. Question number two, we have one from Wizbane, which I think is actually maybe a multi-part question, but I'll just read it. Wizbane asks, how to create a sense of adventure while having a linear narrative? One answer to the adventure question was the whole CRPG slash project RPG thing. Open worlds, non-linear narrative, loosely coupled sort of simulationist systems. Um, Final Fantasy I starts pretty open world and much more CRPG adjacent. But then compared to like Final Fantasy 13, it's hard to even consider them in the same genre because Final Fantasy 13 is like totally linear for those who don't know. What are the tools that JRPGs employ for this and how successfully have they done so? So yeah, how do you create a sense of adventure while having a linear narrative? Um, I think I really like uh, No More Birds, AKA Pete Szynski, who's been on the podcast before. He's got like a definition of adventure or adventure game that I really like a lot. Um, so I think there's a classical, uh, definition of adventure, which is like, you know, you and your merry band traveling through the forests, like killing monsters and, you know, going to different places and defeating the wizard and, you know, going from here to here. And I think that's, that's fine and cool. But I also think that this other sense of adventure, which is really predicated on the feeling that this place is a world. Um, I think we did a whole podcast on the adventure game concept, and I recommend going back and listening to that. But uh, I think a couple of answers. One is, yeah, you want to make it feel like a world. And that means, how do you do that? There's a bunch of different ways you do that. One I already talked about a little bit, which is, you know, interactive world to some extent, like good stagecraft. So you feel like this is a place. That doesn't mean you have like this physics simulation or something like that. It just means like, little things like when you click on something it tells you some history that that sort of makes you feel like gets your imagination going about like what what is this place who lived here who used to live here um you know the the history suggesting the history of the place uh is a big part i think actually history is a very important and largely missing element in uh in jrpgs in particular um where you know both characters are all you know I was just born yesterday. I just woke up. I don't remember anything, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Or 
it's just a world where like history seems to have just started or like, you know, maybe there was a thing a thousand years ago, uh, war of the Magi uh, 500 years ago or whatever, a thousand years. But like what happened a hundred years ago? You know, like what happened 50 years ago? Um, things are happening, you know, people live here. And so I think that's a big part of like how you create the sense of adventure. There's so much that extends out of that stuff that I was just talking about. Like if it's a historicized world, then that means that when you go down to the cave, there's going to be some weird door and that weird door is going to go underneath uh, some other cave, um, and, you know, that, that connects to some weird abandoned subway, you know, train transit system or something like and that goes under you can get to the library in the other town by going under that transit system or like, you know, things are connected in weird ways because people are connecting things over time and then they're forgetting. You know, that's that maybe is a way to talk about like what history is, is it's a, you know, or what a historicized world is, is a place where people connected things and then they forgot. And now we can go back and we can see those connections and we can like imagine some of the history of what was going on there. So I think those are some of how you create a sense of adventure. Um, secrets. I just wrote an article about secrets that is very much related. Uh, I highly recommend people use secrets in their games and um, also just kind of having a sense like, you know, what's really toxic. There's a lot of things that are toxic to a sense of adventure. And, um, you know, it's tricky because some of those things are really good quality of life things like, for example, an auto map. Uh, for example, a little arrow telling you where to go or a log that re reminds you like what, you know, what quests are you working on or whatever, like what has happened. Um, some of those things, like I'm not opposed to the, all those things um, or, or fast travel maybe or something like that. Um, and but some things are really toxic to uh, some of those things. It depends on how they're done, but they can be really uh, hostile to a sense of an adventure or a sense that this is a world. And what it can start feeling like is, no, this is not a world. This is not an adventure. This is a content mill. This is a little treadmill where we're just going to be feeding you slowly some, uh, you know, dopamine drip of like one one hundredth of a sword. You got two one hundredths of a sword. Um, and, uh, you know, so a lot of these like gotchification design patterns are just like ruthlessly toxic to a sense of adventure. And so a lot of it's like what not to do, um, but also, yeah, historicize, make your place an actual world. Um, and that's how you do that while still having a linear narrative, um, because I don't think. Oh, and then I have one other last thing, which is within a linear narrative, I've been really realizing like towns are so they're such a huge deal. And here's why. Um, in every Final Fantasy game, not 13, sadly, doesn't have towns, which I think actually no one talked about. But I actually think that's probably a, one of the biggest reasons people don't like the game, because, you know, um, 10 has towns. 10 is just as linear as 13. But it has towns. And what is a town? A town is a little nonlinear hub. It's a place where you can go around to different places, go to the shop, exit the town, go back outside, do fight some monsters, come back into the town, you know, go at your own pace. Uh, so towns are in a linear game, a other a um a nonlinear section. And I think that's that's pretty important. And so that doesn't have to just mean towns, by the way. It could also mean like there's this one over over uh you know like big map. And by the way, Final Fantasy 10 and 13 both have this. They have this big field part where it's a little bit more non-linear maybe there's like some mini games in there whatever there's some stuff in there to do um and having those kinds of little sections in there uh is i think a really great way to um to make it not feel like the player is just on a you know sort of a a train tr tracks and they're they're really playing because that's i think that's more important to me is a sense of play rather than the sense of adventure necessarily in the classical sense so that's my answer Okay, next question. We got uh, three more. Mallorian Thug asks, I want to hear Keith's extended thoughts on, one, the importance of having a party, and two, how RPGs use mechanics as a tool to help divine characters, and three, how important is one for doing two? And Mal also has a second part, but I'll... Uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll continue with this because uh, it kind of flows together. 
I also think it would be great to talk about how games with parties enable much more dramatic story-based changes and challenges to player power. It's very rare for a game where you only have one character to take away a large chunk of your abilities, but it's fairly common in party-based RPGs to have the party split up or temporarily or permanently lose a character. That's true. So I will say off the top, um, you know, for me, it's almost a deal breaker if an RPG isn't party-based. Um, I, I, so I'm going to play Final Fantasy 16 because I'm on, I'm doing all the Final Fantasy games and I basically got a PS5 just to play Final Fantasy 16. Um, so I'm going to do it. I'm not that hopeful to be honest with you. Um, but, uh, that's a, a, I'll do a podcast on that maybe once after that comes out. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's super. So uh, number one, the importance of having a party for me, it's super important. And there's a bunch of different reasons for that. Um, some of that is personal, but some of that is also that I, I like turn-based games and in a turn-based universe, uh, you know, I mean, first of all, I, I, there aren't a lot of turn-based games where you have one character. Um, and if they, and when they are, it kind of sucks. I mean, like I'm thinking like, well, I never have liked the Pokemon games because you usually just have one character out Dragon Quest one, uh, actually Jack move. I think you have just one character. That's part of probably why I bounced off of it. Um, so I'm not a big fan of one character. It's just not enough terrain to like, you know, what you want is I'm going to talk first mechanically. Um, yeah. How do you RPGs use mechanics as a tool to help define characters? I mean, to me, what's interesting about, uh, a party in an RPG is very similar to asymmetry in any other game where you are combining these two different things. Like, I don't know, like, well, what is it like if, you know, uh, Chun-Li and Guile fight? Or what is it like if Dalzim and Guile fight? You know, it's like a totally different little weird two Lego shapes that fit in a weird way with each other. And uh, I think that's true also with parties if the characters are not like the characters in Trails in the Sky, uh, but are actually really significantly different from each other. Um and uh, so that's one thing is mechanically they're just they're asymmetry and you get a bunch of asymmetrical things together and you get this weird little machine. And, uh, you know, I really like it when like in Final Fantasy VI uh, towards the late game, you get a lot of characters and you can craft a party out of the small number of out of the large number of characters that you have. And by large here, I mean like 10 to 15. I do not mean like 50 uh, you know, the Pokemon games or the Digimon game, uh, have like, I don't know, hundreds of characters. And if you want to call Pokemon Digimon characters, also Suikoden, tons and tons and tons of characters. Uh, I think after you get over like 20, 30 characters, characters start losing their definition from each other. They start to become just like an entry on a spreadsheet and they start losing this interesting, weird Lego shape fitting with each other sort of thing. And they just start being like, you know, it becomes all you can really do is just like sort of maximize, uh, you know, min max uh, and just be more efficient. And uh, that's not exciting to me. And um, yeah, so to talk about the second uh, the second part, uh, games with parties enable much more dramatic story change changes uh, and changes the player power. So two things. One thing I'll quickly say, just because it came to me first is that I like that a party-based game is just more inherently social and it's less inherently like great man of history, uh, you know, one person goes and changes the world all by themselves, you know, the chosen one. Like having a one character thing is just more amenable to that, whereas having a party is more inherently social. It's more inherently like ask each other for help, you know, like trust, trust other people, have friends, talk to people, um, which are like, I think just inherently good messages pop, maybe ones that we need to hear now more than ever before. Um, and so I really like that, that it's inherently pro-social as well. Um, but yeah, also as Mal says, uh, this is maybe more of a comment of Mal's than a question, but it's a good point that, um, yeah, you, you know, if you have one character, you're not going to like lose a third of your character. Like you're not going to, you know, de-level 20 levels and, uh, you know, lose a bunch of skills. That's just not going to happen to you. Um, whereas, uh, you know, it's rather frequent and it makes narrative sense and people accept it when a character dies straight up in the, you know, in the like actually not, you know, uh, Phoenix down dies, but like narratively dies and they're gone. 
uh, or if they leave for a little while. Final Fantasy IV has a lot of this. Characters will pop in and out of the party here and there. Um, and that means that now, that, that gives the designer a lot more tools for uh, mitigating, like, you know, over, you know, the player getting too powerful, things getting too stale. It can be kind of interesting that, like, you, you've been leveling up, leveling up with your party. And now you got to just use, you know, these two characters that you've got all these cool skills and now you just have to rely on them. It can create like really interesting landscapes, I think, mechanically. Um, and uh, yeah, so I guess that's kind of what I have to say about that. But I am pro party big time. Uh, yeah, party, 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 as uh, Andrew uh, WK might say. All right. Two more questions. AHW asks. Maybe what JRPGs can learn from strategy game design and vice versa. Um, my answer to this is probably like uh, not that much. I mean, okay, so so on one level, game design is game design because I think game design is always about storytelling and it's always about uh, using rules and art and mechanics and all these sort of things to suggest what the player ought to care about, what the player ought to be doing and thinking about. Um, and so in that sense, JRPG design and strategy game design are the same. Um, because yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all a lot of like stagecraft. And of course there's a lot of mechanics always. Um, I think a lot of my game design theory you know, is specifically for strategy game design. So I don't think you can really use the, you know, clockwork game design or the triangle or um, the, really the info horizon or input randomness or like any of these concepts that I've developed over the years for strategy games. I don't think they're terribly useful for JRPGs. Now, what strategy games can learn from JRPGs, especially single player ones, is I kind of feel like, and this is coming off of developing Gem Wizards Tactics and wishing that I had developed it differently, I think strategy games should be, one player strategy games should be more RPG-ish. And by that, I just mean they need to be more contextualized. You know, you need to give the, this is something I've made such a mistake of over the years. Um, I make these games and they are just, they're kind of just systems. You know, this is something that, that I, I sort of got this idea, I think, from board games where this is a little more accepted culturally. Um, in board games, you can kind of just make a system. It can even just be like, you know, numbers on cards and people will do that and they'll engage with that. And there's a bunch of different reasons for why that is. Part of which is you already have a context. It's me and my girlfriend are playing a card game. That's the context. And I care about that, of course, because, you know, I care about our relationship and I, whatever. Um, but video games, one player video games don't have as much of that inherent context. They're just some weird executable you're running on your computer. And so you really need to do the work to to convince the player why they should be running this executable over the thousands of others that they probably have on their computer or that they have access to. Um, and uh, I think that's something that I've screwed up with. Like I think Oro doesn't have enough of that. Gem Wizards Tactics doesn't have enough of that. Um, I started pulling up at the end of Gem Wizards Tactics. I made a story mode for Derby's story, which I like, but I made it in one week total. And so uh, I'm very proud of it. But it's not enough. It's not enough because there. It should have been more like a, a like a campaign, like a fire emblem or something like that. Uh, and if I could go back, if I could cut back to 2020 or whatever it was when I started that game, uh, probably 2019 actually. Now that I think about it, um, I would have made it more like a fire emblem game in the structure, meaning like. There's cutscenes and there's a story and and then of course we can have like a like a pure gamified version over on the side because I do think there's some people who like that but um, I really think uh, the vast majority of players and this is the language of video games is one player video games is they are story they are story driven um, there are exceptions to that of course but um, I think that especially for a game like that which is very high effort uh, to play it. I think you really need um, you really need that story context. Uh, so that that is what I think strategy games designs uh, can learn from JRPGs is uh, really contextualize. And then I guess I would also say like aesthetics. You know, um, a lot of strategy games are, and I've been for my job, I've been doing a lot of research on you know pure strategy game games, and like 
a lot of them do not prioritize aesthetics and that's music and that's art and that's like the world and all this stuff. It's just not a priority. You can just very much tell. And, uh, I think it's a mistake, uh, because again, it's, uh, you know, you, you have to use everything. That's the other thing I'm learning about game design as I, as I get more experience is everything matters. Everything has to be good. Um, I used to think, I used to think that there was like a hierarchy of the things that matter. And like the, the, uh, the job of a game designer was to really correctly identify that hierarchy. Um, and now I'm like, no, there is no hierarchy. Everything just has to be awesome. Uh, and art, uh, you know, humans are very visual. Sound uh, is like the soul of like, nobody would care about Final Fantasy if it weren't for Nobuo Iwamatsu. Um, I, I strongly believe, um, you know, this is where the soul of these games uh, comes from. And... Um, yeah, so I think it's a real mistake to um, not prioritize those things. And uh, what can JRPGs learn from strategy game design? I mean, uh, actually, I think Final Fantasy XIII is a, probably a pretty good example of where they, you know, whoever designed that, and I'm not sure who the designer is, but um, that's a system that seems to me like somebody who really got into strategy games and and maybe board games and stuff and was thinking systemically. I mean, if you haven't played Final Fantasy XIII... It's, it's rough. The first 20 hours or so, you're going to be like, Keith, why did you tell me to play this? But once it comes together, and once you see like, oh, there are six characters, and each of them are good at two of the six uh, like roles, and you build this a paradigm, which is like a collection of three roles with three characters, it's this really nice like geometric system uh, that it, it works so well, and it constantly forces you to adapt and change your, your strategy and stuff. So... Uh, I think uh, 13 was an example of a uh, JRPG designer uh, really pulling from the strategy game world. And I'd love to see more of that. I mean, you know, what can JRPGs can learn from strategy game design? Make good systems. Because <laughs> a lot of them don't have great systems. You know, I'm playing Trails in the Sky and whoever designed that definitely needs to play some strategy games and learn some stuff from strategy games. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and and that's it. Yeah, just, you know, basic mechanical strategy, game, strategy design. Um, I also think like uh, Chained Echoes, from what I've seen, it, it uh, you know, I, I think maybe that game, they could have used a little bit more uh, strategy game knowledge uh, in designing their combat system because it, it I don't, I feel like, I don't want to talk about it too much because I feel like I must be misunderstanding. It's one of those things where it, it can't be as, like, uninteresting as it seems like it is right now. So I need to wait and play a little more, but I'll get back to you on that. And finally, we have one last question from Jake. Uh, Jake says, I'd be interested in more detail on why you think RPGs need to be easy. And I I wouldn't necessarily say they need to be easy. Um, e the word easy is very hard to nail down. It's very relative, right? I mean, um, I know that I know that Jake, for example, plays like character action games and some pretty high, high execution games. Uh, and so somebody who plays games like that would probably find a JRPG to be really easy. However, um, you know, uh, there's, I mean, Final Fantasy 13, there was a lot of parts that I got stuck on for a while. It was pretty hard. Final Fantasy X also had a giant difficulty spike on the last boss. I don't know what that was all about. I had to actually uh, pull in a ringer, my wife, who has already beaten the game, to uh, beat it. And even she, it took her a bunch of tries. So it was like, it was it was pretty hard. I don't know if I was just underleveled or what, but like... So I actually don't think RPGs are easy. I think most of them are kind of like normal difficulty. But I think that the, the whole context and framing of easy, normal, hard, or whatever is really tough to nail down. And, um, there's, there's, you know, I, I think what's important to me is smoothness. Uh, I, I'm not like trying to, you know, be impressive or like have some kind of virtuosic skill with video games. Um, I definitely did 10, 20 years ago, but I have like no interest in just like being such a good, Final Fantasy VIII player or something like that just doesn't interest me in the slightest. So, but at the same time, uh, if I were like, if I were to just turn the difficulty off and just like, you know, put on a God cheat or whatever, I think that'd be worse. Um, I think that you, I, my answer here, it's going to sound cheap, but I think you want a balance. You want 
a lot of it to be easy because you want it to be kind of smooth. You want there to be a per forward progression. Uh, you know, you want um, uh, the player to have room to experiment. So, you know, there just needs to be a little bit of easiness so that the player can, like, try some suboptimal weird setups and stuff like that. Um, uh, because I think that a lot of the fun of JRPGs or RPGs in general is messing with and mucking with your character setup. And so an easy game sort of lends itself a little more to that. That said, though, there have to be some parts where it's a it's a difficulty spike and you ha and the game forces you to adapt and figure something out. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, so I don't know. I don't think in terms of easy or hard in this way. I think more like narratively, you know, like, well, what would be appropriate at this point, you know, for this game right now? What are we, what are we doing and what would feel right, um, at this point? Um, and a lot of that is, you know, like for example, popcorn fights, you kind of need that as like a bit of a resource flow and you know easy easy battles if every single fight you fight is like you could just die uh the game kind of grinds to a halt and um so that's a that's a pacing issue um so yeah and then i think when it's like oh my god we're gonna be like fighting some like huge i don't know bad dude or something then you make that hard right and like basically use difficulty in a way to bring out the theme and the, the setting and the mechanics, uh, not the mechanics, the, the theme and the story and, and what's happening in the game. Um, while simultaneously having these moments where players are like, Oh man, I got to like rethink my stuff. Um, rethink my setup maybe a little bit here. And so that's, that's kind of my thought. I, I don't think RPGs need to be easy, I guess. Um, but I also, uh, I'd rather they be a little too easy than a little too hard because I do think a big part of them is their story. And if I get stuck just because I can't beat some really hard boss, I mean, that's kind of a real failure state because uh, if I bounce off of it at that time, I don't get to see the rest of the story. Uh, so I think it's more important that that it's either too easy, a little on the easy side, error on the easy side, or that there are some release valves. And most RPGs have this, where you can go off and you can just kill a few more monsters, get another weapon or something like that, and you know, tr or try a different configuration and come back at it, and uh, and you know, you'll be okay. Uh, so I think that stuff is important. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Those are all the questions. Thank you so much to everyone from my Discord. Uh, everyone who submitted questions. Jake, AHW, Mallorian Thug, Wizbane, Mundungu. Thank you all for your questions. And uh, yeah, this has been really fun. I, I could talk about JRPGs uh, all day. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go play some Trails in the Sky. And thank you so much for listening and watching. And as always, you can uh, come by the Discord and hang out. I'm there every day talking about game design and games and whatever. And um, yeah, I will see you next time. Bye-bye.